This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Awesome, awesome. It, it is good to be here with you this morning. Uh, if you don't know, this is our Pure Gold series, and I get to be a part of wrapping this series up. This is our last week in this series this morning where we've taken a look at some of the other three sixteens, if you will, in the Bible and explored how they've connected back to the most well-known passage in all of the Bible, that being John 3.16, which says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. And so to recap where we've been in this series, in week one, Pastor Ron looked at Judges 3.16 and the story of Eglon and Ehud's faith, fateful encounter with one another. And then in week two, I preached on Matthew 3.16, which is a story of Jesus's baptism with John the Baptist. And then last week, week three, Ron spoke on 1 Kings 3.16 and the story of the two prostitutes who approached King Solomon with like this massive conundrum. And yet, so this morning, uh, I have the honor of closing out this series uh, with our last week. And so I want to do this. I want to get right into it this morning with another 316 from Scripture that I believe is just pure gold, and it shares a solid connection with John 316. As a matter of fact, it's very close to John 316, but instead of opening up to John 316 this morning, we're going to open up to first. John 3.16 this morning. So if you have your Bibles in front of you or in the seat backs in front of you, make sure you grab that. Open up to 1 John. It's sandwiched right in between 2 Peter and 2 John. And the author of it is John the Apostle. Not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle who wrote the Gospel of John as well as 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John in the Bible. And so this morning, again, we open up to 1 John chapter 3. Verses 16 to 18, and this is what it says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. And so that's our passage this morning. And, and when I read that passage, I think it's chocked full of super good just nuggets. But at its core, I believe, is a conversation of how we as, as Christ followers love and treat other people as people ourselves that have been changed by Jesus and so I love this passage because it, it causes me to take a look in the mirror and reflect. You know, if, if we're truly being honest with ourselves as we read this passage, I think this, I think our natural position or posture is to put ourselves before others and, and not to put others before ourselves. It's true, isn't it? Think about it. Think about it. It's the reason why we have to explain to a two-year-old how they can learn to share, right? Because I would say that for most people, selflessness is a learned trait. But why? Why, why is that the case? Why is selflessness 
a learned trait for a lot of us. Well, for one, I think, I think in all of our earthly, carnal state, we naturally lean towards looking for ourselves or looking out for ourselves more than we do for looking out for other people, first and foremost. Uh, see, I think this. I think, I believe that we live in a little bit of self-preservation mode. But we, can be, we can all be selfish at times, can't we? I mean, isn't that true? If we really look in the mirror, I, th- I think that that's true. I mean, come on, right? There's, there's a reason that they started limiting the quantity of certain grocery items that you could buy per visit during the COVID lockdown. You remember that? Like, you walk in and it'd be like one slice of cheese per visit, right? Like, there was a reason that was happening, right? Because people just started, like, hoarding certain materials and items. Don't lie. I want want us to be honest this morning. Don't don't lie, okay? Some of you in here, you still have a stash of toilet paper, (laughs) right? You still have a stash of toilet paper that you're going to have to pass down to multiple generations in your family lineage until it finally runs out. You thought we wouldn't know. (laughs) But hey, check this out. I'm as guilty as charged when it comes to a posture of self-preservation. I know for a fact that I've put myself before others way more times than I'd like to admit at different points in my life. As a matter of fact, one of those points in my life was was back when my, my wife was pregnant with our first child, our daughter, Lila. And if you've ever heard me uh, preach before or talk before uh, about my wife's pregnancies, then, then maybe you, you might recall that her pregnancies are rough. Like, they're super rough and tough. And I don't know how she makes it through because for the, pretty much the entire nine months of her pregnancies, she's super, super sick. And I know if it were me in her place, I'd be curled up in the corner sucking my thumb, not knowing how the heck I was going to make it through the next nine months, and yet my wife is a rock star and makes it through. And so I think back to that first pregnancy, and it was a couple months before uh, it was our delivery time for Lila. And as, as it's getting to a couple months before, we start putting together this package or this, this backpack, if you will, of all the items that we know we're going to want in the hospital, like snack-wise right? Because we don't know how long we're going to be there. And so we start packing this bag full of snacks. And so there's stuff for me, there's stuff for Dana, there's stuff for the both of us. And then there's this one bag that's labeled on it, dark chocolate Kit Kats. I got to tell you this, my wife, Dana, loves dark chocolate Kit Kats. They're her all-time favorite candy bar. And so she made this specific Ziploc bag that was labeled and had written on it, Dana's dark chocolate Kit Kats. And I'm like, of course, throw them in there. It's going to be perfect because with my wife being sick for nine months, she really wasn't able to eat a lot of the stuff that she would love to eat. She didn't have cravings or anything like that. And so she knew that after she gave birth, that the illness would actually leave her body within 24 hours and she could finally have something that she would have loved to have had the past nine months. And so she packed these dark chocolate Kit Kats. Fast forward to uh, fast forward to the day uh, when she's 
giving birth to Lila, and she's going through labor, and it's a it's a tough, long labor. And I, again, I don't know how my wife just pulled off that day. I was I felt like uh, I could have just fainted, right? Like as I'm sitting there trying to go through it with her, and I'm trying to be supportive, and and that husband that's like, yeah, you got this, you go, <laughs> right? Like trying to help her breathe everything, and and finally she she delivers Lila, and Lila is here, and it's it's. It's just beautiful. It's 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 amazing. It's something. It's an experience uh, that I'll never obviously forget. It's one of my life's best moments. But right after that was one of my life's worst moments. And my wife, within 24 hours of giving birth to Lila, the sickness had subsided, and she looks at me and she goes, "Hey, you know what time it is? Dark chocolate Kit Kat time." I'm like, yeah, that's right, you deserve this. So I run over to the bag, and I open up the bag, and I grab the bag, and as I pull it out, I notice that it doesn't weigh as much as I think it should weigh. And I realize in that moment that I have a flashback to somewhere in the middle of her labor, I had a moment of weakness and delusion (laughs) where I reached for some sustenance to keep me going. And it's in this moment that I realize I ate her dark chocolate Kit Kats. And not just one, but all of them. I didn't eat, I didn't touch a single thing that she had packed for me. I literally just ate the dark chocolate Kit Kats. And so as I pull the bag up and realize that there's nothing in it, I turn to Dana and I go, um, they're gone. And she goes, ha, ha, ha. No, no, seriously, hand them over. And I'm like, Dana, no. Uh, the bag is empty. And she looks at me, and she looks into my soul. And she goes, how could you? <laughs> and it was in that moment that I remember, like, running out of the hospital, sprinting out of the hospital, finding the nearest gas station or grocery store. I, just, I stopped at three or four different places to try to find dark chocolate Kit Kats, and none of them had them. And I had to walk back into the hospital with guilt and shame. But nonetheless, I, I knew in that moment that I would live out the rest of the days of my life constantly having a supply of dark chocolate Kit Kats to throw at my wife whenever the moment was right to make up for my faux pas. And so I'm, I'm being really transparent with you up here this morning, letting you know that I've been guilty as well of at times putting myself before others, and not just others, but maybe even my own family. And so we have to, I believe this church, we have to be able to admit that we can just tend to sometimes be this way without even noticing it. But another surefire factor that I believe plays into us putting ourselves over others at times might be the fact that we live in a a culture that I believe enables selfishness in us as well. Check it out. A lot of us in here, we are fueled by our accomplishments. And we live in a culture that says, if you perform well, then you will be rewarded well. Whether whether it was your grades growing up in school, or the sports that you played, or your career now, your reward is based on your performance. I remember when I was in elementary school and I was... I was starting this new thing to me called karate class. And I I showed up to karate class, and I realized very quickly that there was this system in place in karate. 
that if you wanted to move up the ladder uh, from novice to sensei in karate, then you had to move up this belt system. And so you started off with a white belt, and as you progressed and performed well, you were given black stripes on each belt until you moved to the next belt, whether it was orange or, or green or purple or whatever the order is, all the way until you ended up at black belt. And so I remember going into karate thinking, I'm going to be a black belt. Yes. That's why I'm going to be a karate master. I knew, I believed that I was going to be the next Mr. Miyagi, that I was going to be the next Bruce Lee, that I was going to be the next Mr. Walker, Texas Ranger himself, Chuck Norris. But the problem was this, is that I was just as good at being a martial artist as I was at being a real artist. This is a self-portrait I drew of myself. From back in the day, it looks like I have one leg that goes down to, I don't know what's happening there, right? And so I realized that I was, this was a sport that I was not going to perform well in, let alone perform well enough to move up the belt system to get to black, let alone red or anything else outside of white. And so with two black stripes on my beginner's white belt, I remember going into karate class one day and going up to, to my sensei and saying, sensei, I quit, <laughs> that was it. I knew that I wasn't going to perform well enough to move up and that I, and on top of that, I didn't enjoy it. But whether that's right or wrong, isn't that the culture we live in? Perform well, get rewarded well. Perform poorly, get no reward. And that seems to make sense. But it's also a cultural mindset that tends to to claim self-victory as the only acceptable result in life, when at all costs, that you are how you perform. And yet Jesus says this. Jesus says, come as you are. Flaws and all. Perfection not required. No performance or achievement necessary to enter into a relationship with him. He just asks for an open heart and, and an open mind to what he can do in your life and who he is. Because the reward being our salvation, the reward is open to anyone and everyone. And that reward changes us. With that transformation, the good works should naturally flow should naturally follow. You see, we're used to our performance determining our reward, but with faith in Jesus, the reward determines our performance. And so with that as our backbone this morning, I'd love to take a second look at our passage that I read earlier from 1 John 3.16 through 18. Because I believe that John, the author, has it broken up into four sections that are important to illuminate as we look to apply this to our lives. And so here's the first section. I believe John gives us, with his first line, he gives us the framework and this is what it says, that first line again. This is how we know what love is. You see, I believe John sets it up this way because as people, we come up with all sorts of different things that we define love with. Like, hey, I'm obsessed with cheesecake. I'm obsessed. I can't live without it. I think I'm in love. Listen, I'll tell you right now, that's not love. That's a sweet tooth. I know because I've got one or maybe 32 of them. 
So John prefaces what he's about to say with this framework, with this statement, because what he's about to say is the reason we know what true love is in the first place. And so he gives us the framework, which leads into the facts. And this is what the facts are. It's that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see, we love because God loved us first. We love because God first loved us. And if he didn't, man, he wouldn't have sacrificed his son for us. And because of that, we're now called to lay down our lives for others. When we think about it, laying down is a, it's a form of submission, isn't it? It's a form of submission. It puts us in a vulnerable position. I believe, I believe this. I believe it, that is the reason why it can be much more difficult to teach a dog to lay down than it can be to teach a dog to sit. Sitting just seems to come easier. I even have a friend whose life motto is, you know what, my life, my life motto is this. It's just all about finding that next place to sit down. <laughs> it's easier to get a dog to sit. Laying down seems a little bit harder. I believe this, the same goes for our lives when it comes to laying our lives down. It's vulnerable. It's not easy. It's not, it's not our initial response all the time, and yet God knows this. God knows that it's not easy. God knows that it's not our natural position or posture as people, that it's not our first inclination, and yet Jesus himself submitted for our sake for us. And on top of that fact... Jesus laid down his life for someone who had nothing to offer in return, us. Think about that. He was a man who had no sin in his life, dying for people whose lives were full of sin. We had nothing to offer him. We still have nothing to offer him outside of our worship and our praise. And yet God, Jesus, he still sacrificed for us. He sacrificed himself for us. And he did this knowing that we would still mess up. Because he cares for us as his creation more than he does about what we have to offer. See, Jesus' sacrifice was the offer. Jesus' sacrifice was the offering and so what does it mean to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters? Is this talking about death and only death? Because when we read it, I bet a lot of us in here think of that like movie scenario where all of a sudden we're being asked to jump in front of a bullet that's headed right for another person. And yet John, John provides context by giving us this. He gives us the illustration. And the illustration is this, that if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? See, John gives us an illustration or, or an example to give us context, that while dying for a friend certainly fits into this conversation, the illustration John gives us is much less extreme. Instead, he gives us the image of taking care of others in need. And now the implications of this are heavy. The implications of this are heavy. John implies that the love of God is not in a person who has resources to give to someone in need and chooses not to. That the love of God is not in that person. That is weighty stuff. 
And this isn't the only time in this book that, that John smacks us in the face with some serious truth. In the next chapter, in chapter 4, he tells us that if anyone hates their brother or sister, then they cannot love God. And so this insinuation of not helping others who need it has massive repercussions. And yet I love this. I love how simple this illustration is. I love how simple this example is that he gives us. That he lets us know that if we've got resources to help a person in need when we come into contact with them, that we simply have got to help them. That we've got to do it. We've got to care for others. That doesn't mean it has to look like just giving people handouts. I believe we can get much more creative than that. But if we do nothing at all, when we are more than capable of doing something, then that's when John points out that the love of God is missing from our hearts. And I don't know about you, but for me, that seems like it's something worth losing sleep over. Lastly, John points us to another thing. John points us to this. He points us to the execution. The execution meaning this. Here's how we execute this. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. That's not to say that words aren't important. I believe a lot of us know that words are important. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in multiple places that our words indeed are important. But without action behind them, our words are empty. And so as people looking to impact the world for Jesus, I think the question is, how can we lay our lives down for others? In what ways can we put others before ourselves? Whether that's on teams here in this church or or with organizations in our community like Degage or Hand to Hand, or jumping in on, on our serve team, on our serve days that we do, or, or it's outside of all those things and it's just something that you do. I, I believe this. I believe there's opportunities all over the place to be giving of ourselves to others. To be giving of ourselves to others. To be serving others. You see, to put it bluntly, this passage doesn't sugarcoat it. If we are followers of Jesus, then we need to be sacrificing our own lives, laying them down for Jesus and also for other people. You see, the question isn't, should I be laying my life down for others? That seems to be a no-brainer, isn't it? The question should be, how are we doing it? How are you doing it? Because talk isn't enough. Talk isn't enough. We've got to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. See, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Jesus washed the feet of his, at times, completely ignorant disciples. And yet Jesus wasn't too big to wash their feet. The Lord of lords, the king of kings, washed the stanky feet of his disciples. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, you practically, that's not something you can do standing up. And yet you can like sit down, but that's so low. It's, it's something that you got to practically lay down for to wash the feet of another person. You see, 
following Jesus and serving other people isn't about elevating our name. It's actually about lowering it and through that, letting Christ's name be magnified. Church, it's, it's, it's something that I think that is so important that we got to figure out how to get right that, that that may look like for us like being a part of a team effort. That may look like, like a decision making in your own solo everyday life and in your own solo everyday interactions with other people. Maybe that's what that decision looks like for you. I believe the possibilities are endless, and I don't know what God has put on your hearts to do, but I do believe this. I believe he puts opportunities in front of us all the time to impact the world around us for his name, for his kingdom. And we simply got to suck up our pride, pray over it, and be selflessly open to how God's going to move through us in this. Maybe it starts, maybe it starts with something really simple, like a Kit Kat, <laughs> But I'm willing, I'm willing to bet that God will grow it from there because he who has started a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Amen? Amen. I love that God puts these opportunities in front of us. Again, I want to look back. I want to I look back to John 3.16 as we get ready to wrap up and close and worship him more. This morning, John, John 3.16 again says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Like Ron highlighted last week, God gave, God gave his son. He chose to. Church, this message isn't meant to be a guilt trip. It's meant to be a joy giver. Because when we put others, when we put, uh, others before ourselves, like, like John calls us to do in this passage, it brings more joy to our lives than when we put ourselves first. And so I simply want to leave you with this. What is one way that you can sacrifice a bit of yourself this week to Im impact someone around you? To impact someone around you for Jesus? What's one way this week that you can do that? What's one way that you can lay your life down for others? That you can be, that you can be for someone you know, that can be for someone you know, or that can be for a complete stranger, or that can be for both? Because I believe there's no limits to the ways that we can put others before ourselves with the humility of Jesus. And so what's one way that you can give of yourself this week to make a difference and an impact? And here's the, here's the beautiful part, church. Beautiful part is this, that once we think of something, then we get to do it. Once we think of something, then we get to go and do it. And I trust and I believe that God's going to bless that. That there's times where we're, we're, asked, we're asked to submit and give our lives over to God and give our lives over to other people. And we're asked to obey. And John, John gives us this command, right? And so how can you obey this week? The things that Jesus is speaking into your life and how you can impact the lives of others. How can you submit this week and lower your name 
to raise up the name of Jesus in our community. I believe if each and every single one of us in this room just, just does one thing this week, think of the impact that that can have in our community and beyond. Whether you're right here in Rockford this week or you head out for vacation, you're somewhere else, think of, the, think of just the, the domino effect that can take place when we do this and we obey and we follow Jesus with our lives and lay them down at the feet of the altar. So church, I'm excited again this morning to continue worshiping with you. And as we get prepared to do so, I would love it if you just bowed your heads and prayed with me as we get ready to do that. Let's pray, church. Jesus, I'm, I'm, grateful, for, I'm grateful for the fact that you were not an arrogant king. That you were not that you were not a king that came and enslaved, but God, that you, you sent your son as a king to bring freedom. I'm grateful for that. And yet in that freedom, sometimes we make choices that are just selfish. God, my prayer this morning is that we would lean into the fact that you call us to lay our lives down. And I'm reminded of the ways that Jesus laid his lives down for others. Whether, God, it was going to the cross or, or healing people or washing his disciples' feet. Man, I'm just humbled by that. And so my prayer this morning, God, is that, is that we as a church, as a body of believers, continue to lean into the fact that you call us to serve other people. And God, they might pull us out of our comfort zones. And that, look, that might look a little different than, than how we would imagine it. You might do something with it that we never would have expected. And maybe that's a little bit scary, but God, I pray this morning you would give us the courage and the bravery to walk in confidence in the challenge and calling that you've put upon our lives to lower our own name to help lift up the name of Jesus. God, I pray that this morning. I'm grateful for the opportunities you put in front of us. God, I'm not above asking for more opportunities for each of us like that this week. And so God, when that moment hits, when that moment strikes, will we continue to just revel in the grace that you've given us to go, you know what, what's the worst that could happen if I submitted and I obeyed and I followed through with the calling that you put on our life through John? God, thank you for that. I pray for those opportunities. And God, I pray that when those moments hit and those opportunities come, God, that we just faithfully serve. Jesus, thank you for the ways you've served us. I worship and praise you this morning, Jesus, the great name of Jesus. Thank you for who you are. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.